Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Yeah. Uh, but it, I'm excited to teach the Word today. Grab your Bible, if you will. We're going to start with, uh, with Psalm 4. And I want to read for us. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can read along. I'm reading from the ESV version, which is one that we use uh, here. That was, a, that was a great translation that's translated uh, in a thought-for-thought way. Some translations are word-for-word. Word. Uh, it gets a little tricky, but this one is thought-for-thought. Thought. But let's read from Psalm 4. Um, you can follow along or just listen. I want you to listen to the Psalm of David. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have, more, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will lie in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Ah, amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word of truth. And God Almighty, we pray that you reveal to us today just your purposes and your plan for us, um, the fellowship we have in your name. Lord, pour out your spirit, pour out your truth into our hearts and minds this morning. And God, let our faith advance today and let your love and your kingdom be shed abroad in our hearts. We thank you and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The year was 1943 and the scene was a dingy shipyard in Philadelphia. And a young naval enlisted man named Richard James he was a mechanical engineer, and he was working on some torsion springs trying to secure delicate and sensitive instruments that would be installed in battleships. And as he's working with these torsion springs, one fell to the floor. He watched it as it seemed to walk across the floor, and he knew that there was probably a higher purpose for this thing. So James began to work with these springs for over a year, developing just the right tension, just the right size. And before long, he had something that would walk downstairs uh, alone or in pairs. You were supposed to finish that. Yeah, thank you very much. How many of you had a slinky when you were growing up? Some of you just lied in church. I don't know why. Everybody has a slinky. Are you kidding me? So he went on to develop this thing, and he got just the right slinky, and he got just the right packaging. Uh, his wife named it, by the way. Uh, and he debuted it at Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia in 1945. He made 400 units. He sold all 400 for $1 each in 90 minutes. Not a bad day when the average American household income was $2,600 at that time. 
Slinky went on to be named to the National Toy Hall of Fame. It was named by a review of peers to one of the toys of the century, the 20th century. Uh, this is two of the pages from the original patent that he secured. Uh, it was also named by Time Magazine's, Time Magazine as one of the all-time 100 greatest toys. For 75 years, more than 360 million Slinkies have been sold. How about that? So the creator, Richard James, he saw the higher purpose for his creation. I wonder if that's true for us. I mean, we have all these purposes that we pursue. We make up purposes. We pursue purposes. We create goals. But I wonder if there's a higher purpose for us, is there? Don't you suppose? Our creator? I wish there was a book, some sort of history or set of guidance or some sort of book that would give us insight to this. Oh, okay, there is. Don't worry, this is what we're going to look at today. And if this looks daunting to you, don't worry. I think it's kind of thin. There's another book that came out recently, Understanding Women, now available in paperback. <laughs> don't worry, we're just going to look in this little thin book today. We're not going to look at that book, okay? Just make sure you're paying attention. Let's read a little more into Psalm 4 here. Um, yeah, open your Bible. You can follow along. That's not on the screen, but I'll, I'll read it for us. There are a few verses that I just want to highlight. Listen to what David said. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious and hear my prayer. Hmm. There are many who say who will show us some good. That's so appropriate today, isn't it? You, God, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And listen to this verse. But you, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Verse 3. He has set apart the godly for himself. There's a word for that in the Old Testament. In the English translation is consecrate. Consecrate, to set apart. To set something apart for specific use and for specific purpose. And I can gladly tell you today, yes, we do have an original purpose, a higher purpose. And we're going to look at that today. Um, David, you see, was operating from a different, a different perspective than we are today. David was just a few hundred years removed from, the, from God leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. But where'd they go first? They went into the desert. So he's bringing them out of slavery, and then he leads them into the promised land. I mean, into the desert. So this is a, a pretty crazy place. There's not much provision there. Anybody have any idea why he might be leading them into the desert? He wants to provide for them. Right? He wants them to know, by the way, I mean, because he's going to give them food. He's going to give them water. He's, their clothes are not going to wear out. Their shoes are not going to wear out. This is, there are going to be so many miracles while, while they're there. But the main purpose is so that they can have fellowship with him. 
He's delivering them out of slavery and into this place where he is. And I want to look at some things today from Exodus, from this story of God leading the the Israelites out of Egypt. But I want to share with you just a couple of verses before we do to remember. So we're going to look at Exodus 25 through 30. But first I want to look at a couple of New Testament passages. God's going to build a temple. He's going to give them instructions for building a tabernacle, a temple. Okay, but remember, church, look, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 3.16? And throughout the New Testament... Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So, and I I just want to set you up because when we look at how this temple is built and when we look at what God does and what his intentions are, remember that we're the temple now. This is the new covenant. All right? In that time, God was in this one place and the priests had to come in, but Today, we, we all can know him through the blood of Christ. Another passage I want to share with you uh, is 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Okay? You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What does it mean that we're a priesthood today? The priest back in that time, when, when God brought them out of Egypt and built the temple... He consecrated the temple, and he consecrated the priests, and by that, he consecrated the people. But the priests, it was very important because the priests at that time, they were the ones fellowshipping with God. They were the ones, the only ones, that could go into that most holy place and exchange with God and be in communion. And it was scary. I'm sure it was very scary. They'd tie a rope around these priests in case they died, because if they did something wrong, that's what happened. They would die on the spot. So we're the priesthood today. By, by Christ's blood, here's the priesthood. So I want to draw some parallels between Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant, that we can learn from today about how to have fellowship with God and what it means to have fellowship with God. So I want to kind of blow this up for us, hopefully, today uh, as we look at Exodus. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Exodus 25. And I want to share with you just some of the, the details where God is building and gave them instructions for building the ark and for building the temple and for, for consecrating the temple and also consecrating the priests. So look at Exodus 25. And I'm just going to share a few. I'm going to jump around here a little bit, literally in five chapters, but I want to kind of get a whole picture of what's going on. When God built the, the ark of the covenant, this is where he would reside, okay, in the ark. Listen to, what, listen to what it's made of in uh, chapter 25, verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, its breadth <laughs> and a cubit and a half its height. So this is a cubit. So a cubit and a half. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. I'm guessing it was this big. Right? These are, these are actually pretty exact me- measurements. And then he says, you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out. Pure gold. Also, listen to this, you shall make a mercy seat. This is the lid that goes on the ark, where the cherubim are facing each other and the wings are coming forth. You remember it from Raiders in the Lost Ark? That's where we got to see sort of an image. Okay, this is what it, this is what it probably looked like. I'm sure they, they did their homework and tried to make it exact. But listen to this, make the mercy seat, the lid for it, of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, because it fits perfectly, obviously, and a cubit and a half its breadth. 
You shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Then listen to this, a little bit further down in 23. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, breadth, I keep saying breadth, that's funny, breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it again with pure gold, and a molding of gold shall be made around it. So here's the ark, here's the lid, the mercy seat, and here's this table. Why so many things of gold? Any idea? It lasts, absolutely. Gold has to be purified. There's a purity element associated with this here. When you put gold on there, it has to be refined, all the dross taken out, and it's overlay it with pure gold. Can you imagine this thing? By the way, we know how much gold and bronze and silver, because the Lord tells us in weight, uh, that it took to make the temple. And just get, get this uh, idea. The, the, the temple contained about 2,193 2, pounds of gold. That's about $62 million today. That's just the gold in the temple. That's not the labor. That's not making it of pure gold. What would the temple have cost in, in today's money? I have no idea, but easily over $100 million. God's going through a lot of detail to make this temple and make it, what? Beautiful. This thing is beautiful. We'll read on about, listen to this. They're lampstands of gold. Make these lampstands of gold. Everything on them. And they're, and they're making these carvings. They're forming these things out of gold. Three branches. On one side of the three branches of the lampstand, uh, there shall be uh, each with calyx and flower on, on every branch. Three cups made like almond blossoms. These are the cups in, in the lamp. With each, each with calyx and flower. I mean, these things are, 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 are ornate. These things are beautiful. Also curtains, listen to this. Moreover, you shall make the, the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with the cherubim skillfully worked into them. So they're working in, they're weaving all of these things. I mean, this is all handmade, obviously. You can't just go to Amazon and order up some purified gold. You can't just order up these linens. All these things they made by, the hand, by hand. They cut these huge pillars of acacia wood. Even the, even the poles that they carried the ark in and the, uh, and the table were all overlaid with pure gold. I mean, this thing was amazing. Is there any wonder why God is making the temple beautiful? I mean, if you think about that just for a minute, it is God making it. <laughs> when we do things... Isn't it something how we are drawn to beauty? Whether that's in architecture, whether that's in painting, whether that's in art, literature, your spouse, you're drawn to your spouse and beauty. That's God inside of us, right? But God is making this temple so beautiful. And I don't want you to miss the fact that, listen, we're the temple today. We need to remember how God sees us. Jesus made us righteous and holy and perfect in God's sight. God's going to all this physical trouble to make this temple beautiful. And then today, under the new covenant, Jesus comes in and makes all of us beautiful, perfect, holy, and righteous. All right? Now, there's another aspect of that. We're going to talk about sanctification a little bit later. Also, I want you to see that he consecrated the priests. 
And listen to this. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. This is in chapter 28, first verse. From among the people of Israel, bring these, these here to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar, Ithamar. And you, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments and consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. And he goes on to talk about a breastplate, an ephod, robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, a sash. I mean, they de- he decked out the priests. So much detail. I mean, why? I mean, he could just say, well, here's what we're going to do and this is how we're going to worship. But it's beautiful. There's so much detail. God is consecrating the priests at that time to come in and fellowship with him, to minister to him. Church, we're the priesthood today. We're the pri- What does it mean to, to minister to the Lord? Ever thought about that? I mean, we, we, we just live life, right? What does it mean to minister to the Lord? Certainly, some things we, we are called to do by him are ministering to him. But these priests, you think about the, the temple that they built in the desert. They're coming into this special place. And quite frankly, there's a lot of detail left out about the priest being in there. The priest is in there to serve him to bless him, to be with him, to fellowship with him, to minister to him. I mean, I don't know about you, but just thinking about some of those things, like, all right, Lord, how do I minister to you? How do I fellowship with you in a way that, that brings a blessing to you? This is what God desires from us. And when we look at this in this Old Testament, in this temple he's building, and that transfer of today, there's something that we can learn from this. What I want to give you today is seven ways Seven ways that we can renew the fellowship that we have that, that was the original purpose for us to have with the Lord. And I'm just going to make some suggestions for you in a moment. I want to look at one other verse from Exodus 29. Check this out. 44 and 46. God says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting. That's the temple. That's the tabernacle. And the altar. Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate. I will set them apart. For my service, I will set them apart. This is their highest purpose. I will dwell, yeah, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I was talking with some brothers earlier this week about how Everything in the New Testament has roots in the Old Testament. And if you look at the verse that I just put up here before this, look at this. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We celebrate being, being called out of darkness, out of slavery, into fellowship with God, into his wonderful light. Just like the Israelites did. In fact, that's why the Jews celebrate Sukkot every year. Some more than others. But there are some, and there are some Christian followers, there are followers of Christ that I, I know also celebrate this because it's an identification and it's a festival or a feast that actually celebrates God bringing you and me out of slavery. Does that make sense? You see how that connects in the New Testament and Old Testament? So what I want to share with you this morning are seven ways to renew fellowship with God. Now these are, 
These are just suggestions or encouragement. Uh, um, these are not steps. I encourage you, these are not steps. Don't make a formula out of this. I would encourage you, if one or two of these inspire you to take into your faith and into your friendship and fellowship with God, amen. Amen. I want you to do that, but this is not a method. But what I will say to you is that any one of these suggestions or all of them in the hands of one person may be pursued in friendship with God, in asking of His Spirit to lead us and guide us, and in some pure way of friendship with Him through Christ our Lord and His Holy Spirit. And that's going to have supernatural effects. That's going to have profound effects on you or me when we pursue that that way with with sort of doing that in a pure way before God. However, there's, there's another person that may pursue this, any one or all of these things, and, and that whole effort may be left simply to the practical results of the physical realm. Does that make sense? There are two ways to go about this. It's not a method. It's not a duty. But it's something that I want to encourage you this morning to say, Lord, help me here to have fellowship with you. Help me to learn from you. Help me, Lord, that I may receive from you what he's given to us. And that's himself. That's himself. So I want to give you just seven ways or suggestions. These are the things just praying about and studying in Scripture and, and that I, you know, I believe the Lord led me to to share with you. Um, uh, number one. All right. So I, I may have to apologize for this one. So I learned this from my daughter who was in high school a few years ago. And there was this term, this phrase going around high school. It was really funny to hear them say it. But they, were, they would say it to each other when they were kind of irritated with each other. And so here's number one. Can you just don't? I know you hate the syntax, but something tells me you won't forget it. Can you just don't? And so these high school kids would say it to each other when they wanted them to stop doing something. But listen, what's the opposite of don't? Do. Do any of you have trouble finding things to do? Any trouble finding things to do? I will do until my eyelids fall closed on my bed at night. And then I'll still try to keep them open and do something else. God needs us to stop. Be still and know that I am God. For about 10 or 12 months now, Jen and I have been going through the scriptures with Daily Audio Bible early in the morning. And that has become such a, a special time that, that neither of us want to miss. But we had to stop something in our lives. We had to stop doing something to make time for this. And I can tell you for me, and I know for Jen, and it, it doesn't happen for me every morning, but there are many mornings when the stories from the Old Testament or the parables of Jesus in, in the Gospels or a psalm is being read, and I'm telling you, I realize that is the resonant frequency of my soul, of our souls. Do you know what I mean by resonant frequency? You know, Nikola Tesla years ago found that everything in the world has a resonant frequency. This table, this cup, not just instruments, a panel, that column there, everything has a resonant frequency. A glass, when an opera singer breaks a glass, and you know that can happen, and that has happened plenty of times, the, the opera singer is hitting the note, the resonant frequency note of that glass. And it won't break, it won't even vibrate on other notes, by the way. 
That's the resonant frequency. That's the note the vocalist can hit and break that glass because it just vibrates. That's what I'm talking about. But how many frequencies are there, are there that we're hearing and listening to every day and just being bombarded by frequencies, sounds, sights, all of this stimulus? And so here you go. Remember that terrible syntax. <laughs> can you just don't? We got to put some things aside or something aside or be still, push things away so that our souls reverberate to the voice of God, the calling of God, the voice of his spirit. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Are you with me? We're going to have to stop. So take that one. There's one. Uh, number two, God is with you. Seems obvious. But if you're like me, a lot of times I live like he's not with me. I forget him. I forget he has power to come into physical circumstances and change them. I forget that he's somehow given us the ability to appropriate his power by faith. I forget that he's walking in front of me and behind me. Just don't even think about it sometimes. But I encourage you, church, remember that God is with you. And live, ask yourself, you know, am I living like God is with me? Okay, I'm, I have fear, I have worry, frustration, anger, uh, all these things, anxiety. Remember, God is with you. And, and, and that, doesn't, that doesn't just happen in a moment. I mean, that's why God brought them out of Israel to dwell with them. Remember, he's going to dwell with them. Dwell with us. So remember that God is with you. Number three, practice costly worship. Practice costly. I don't mean all the time. I don't mean legalistically. I don't mean as a matter of, of duty. But what I'm, what I'm referring to here is when you look at the temple where God was going to dwell, and I told you there's $62 million worth in today's money of gold put into that thing, and silver and bronze and carving and weavings and tapestries and all of this detail. And sometimes, oftentimes, I don't even think about it. I think it's easy to go, you know what? It didn't cost me anything. Thank you, God. Your grace is sufficient for me. But what is costly worship? What does it mean to give of my energy to the Lord, to minister to Him in a way that maybe I haven't thought of before? So I just lay this out here for you today. Consider practicing costly worship. Don't tell anyone about it. Don't brag about it. Don't, oh man, this is what I went, you know. No. But just make our, ourselves available to the Lord with some, I don't know, some sacrifice, some offering. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? It may or may not be out of resource. It may be time. It may be energy. It may be creativity. It may be just attention to the Lord. But I encourage you, practice some form, at least once, of costly worship. Because God made this temple beautiful. And it's cost him something great to have fellowship and friendship with us. It's a reciprocation. Number, where are we? Four? 
I don't know what number we're on. Oh, I want to read you. Yeah, we'll do this. Uh, do an idle audit. I was at a, a, a small group this week on Wednesday night with some other parents, Jen and myself, and, and uh, John Columbus was leading us. And we get together, we worship, we pray, we, we, we study the word. And, uh, and John is asking us to consider the parallels between Athens and Rome when Paul went into Athens at that time, 2,000 years ago, and, and Aspen today. And, and then he just got quiet and people started thinking of things that where Aspen is kind of like Athens. And we got to a place of many gods, many idols. And we all kind of just looked at the floor. You could hear the silence come over the room for a few seconds. What are our idols? And I don't know if you've ever been encouraged to do an idol audit. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> and then I woke up Wednesday, Thursday morning thinking about the same thing. It's, it's, it, it, it can be profound to say, all right, Lord, is there anything in my life that has crept up to this level of importance or treasure or beauty in my mind with you? Or maybe even something that, that I think about a lot more. I don't know. This is, this, is, this is for you and for me to process. But maybe do an idle audit. Ask yourself that question. Um, next one. You ready? What number are we on? Five? Good job. Question your autonomy. What do I mean by that? Question your autonomy. There's a guy, um, Charles Taylor. He's a philosopher, theologian uh, at McGill University in Montreal. He is professor emeritus there and uh, he wrote a book called A Secular Age, a brilliant book about where we are today in this world and in life and in faith and how we got here. Uh, one thing he does profoundly in this book is he compares faith from 1500 with faith in 2000. Our faith. And he just talks about that. And one thing he says, he says that, you know, it's different, obviously, but in 1500, uh, our being, our self, we were what he identifies as a porous self. We were a porous being, a porous self. And what he means by that is that many, many things in our lives, if not everything, was informed or influenced by something larger than ourselves. The church, faith, God, community. Whereas today, what he says is we are a buffered self. A buffered self. Like I'm here. Here's my heart. Here's my mind. And you know what? I will decide what gets in here. And I can react or respond or no response at all to anything outside of here. We're a buffered self today. We've been so disembedded from community that we're not even sure what it is anymore. This is Charles Taylor. But I'm encouraged by that or convicted by that or both. Question your autonomy. And I think it's good to kind of say, hey, yeah, Lord, am I thinking in a totally isolated way? Do I let anyone else have influence? Do I, do I seek counsel? Am I embedded in community with you and with your people? I mean, I, I hope you get that. The poorest self 500 years ago and the buffered self today. It's 
very convicting for me. So I lay that out for you. Question your autonomy. Here's another one. A way to renew your fellowship with God. Get off the beaten path. Get off the beaten path. When I turned 16 and I got wheels when I was a young guy, you, you, you didn't want to be in the car with me riding down a country road going somewhere. Because I was inevitably going to take a left or a right and then 10 other lefts and rights because there was a road I didn't know where it went. And I wanted to discover where... My mom hated it. Especially when it said no trespassing. No joke. Some people see no trespassing and it says danger, stay out. This is not yours. I see no trespassing. You can ask my wife. I see welcome. This is an adventure. (laughs) I want to go see what's there. Get off the beaten path. Just yesterday, I walked my dog in the morning over at Burlingame. We're going out. We're going up this 12-foot wide concrete path. Uh, hundreds of people walk it every day, just Burlingame to the highway, da-da-da-da-da. And my dog Charlie cruises into the sagebrush 15 feet. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And we walked 100 yards from this concrete prepared beaten path. 100 yards the view from 100 yards away was entirely different, entirely different elevation, entirely different surroundings, stimulus, appreciation. I, just from going over there for five minutes, it was nothing to do. But what do we do as human beings? We get in these routines. We call them ruts. We do this. This is where we go. We don't go anywhere else. We go to this grocery store. We only go to the other one if it's packed and we can't park there. We do all these things that we do every day as a matter of routine. But I encourage you, if you get off the beaten path in some way, it might not be in a physical way. You might read something you haven't read before. Uh, A new friend encourages you in some small way that you could either hear and listen to or ignore and move move on. Get off the beaten path. We've got to stir things up in our faith or we will become routine, mundane people with normal expectations. And just what is going to happen is the things we expect. Man, stir our souls together and get off the beaten path. Are you with me? All right, one more. Here's the final one. And this may be the easiest one. Maybe this should be first. Ask. Ask. What did Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount? Ask. Seek, knock. We come to him and he's ready to give good gifts to those who ask. The experience of God, the experience of his spirit to those who ask. And so I think simply, Lord, I I, I want that fellowship. I want that friendship with you. And so however you may ask, go and ask the Father, the Son, the Spirit for this experience. Lord, what does it mean to be consecrated to you? What does it mean to fulfill my, the highest purpose you have for me? To minister to you, to be ministered to by you, to be in fellowship with you, to stand, to sit, to kneel in your counsel. Ask. So simple, right? So here they are, all together. Uh, can you just don't? God is with you. Practice costly worship. Do an idle audit. Question your autonomy. Get off the beaten path and ask.
I don't know. Use those, use one or two of those as a tool to just go further in faith and friendship with God. He will give you counsel. He will give you inspiration. He will give you revelation. He will give you ideas. I'm telling you, you know this. He will give you things you just, you didn't even ask for. He'll reveal them to you. That's what that fellowship, I mean, I, I can't even say that's what that fellowship is about because it is about this infinite reservoir of the living God that we come to be with. And Christ has made this available to us. But in looking at how God prepared the temple and the priest, which is you, and what he intended to do with that, boy, that's what I hope just fans us into flame today. And as I said, it's possible to do this in a merely a physical way. I, I, I would encourage you not to do that. We've all done it. Because God calls us into his fellowship to then call us into his service in terms of being a blessing to the world, to those around us, being a light of the world. We go and we fellowship with him so that then we can go and give to others what he's given us. Without that experience, without that experience, we may be contriving that. We certainly may be walking forward in faith and he's upholding us, but it is possible that we're, we're just striving so hard out of our own strength to live a Christian life before we have that fellowship and friendship and experience with God. There's a guy named Frank Abagnale. Frank works for the FBI. He's been in forgery and fraud and is uh, now in psycho, uh, um, cybersecurity. Frank has been with the FBI for 40 years, but when he was young, when he was 16, he changed his driver's license in New York. It was, uh, there was no photo on the driver's license. It was not laminated. He just changed one number and went from 16-year-old to 26-year-old to 26, because he wanted, he wanted to make money. He, he, his parents had divorced. He was kind of on its own. But this one thing, and people thinking he was a little older, they began to pay him a little bit more. This one thing led to a life uh, as a con man. He became, he pretended to be a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot. He cashed blank checks all over the world. You, you may have heard about him. There was a book written about him. There was a, a, a musical written about him that won an Emmy. And Steven Spielberg produced a, a screenplay and movie about him called Catch Me If You Can, which starred Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. I want to show you a scene uh, from this movie where Frank is becoming a pilot. Frank. Hello. I'm Frank Black from Monroe High School, and I have an appointment with Mr. Morgan. You're the young man who's writing the article for the school paper. Yes, ma'am, that's me. I want to know everything there is to know about being a pilot. <laughs> what airports does Pan Am fly to? Uh, what does a pilot make in the end? Who, who tells them where they're going to fly to? Whoa, 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 so I'll just take them one at a time. All right. What does it mean when one pilot says to another pilot, what kind of equipment are you on? I just want to know what kind of aircraft you're flying. Is it a DC-8, 707, Constellation? And, and what about those ID badges that I've uh, seen pilots wear? Well, every pilot has to have two things with them at all times. One is his airline personnel badge. looks just like this one here from Pan Am. The other one is their FAA license. And that looks just like this. Oh. Do you think I can make a copy of this to put into my article? Oh, Frank, 
You can have that one. It's three years expired. Oh, thanks. And what about your ID badge? Do you have an extra one I could borrow? Oh, no, I can't help you there. It's a special order from Polaroid. The only way to get one of those is to become a real live pilot for Pan American Airways. Pan Am, may I help you? Yeah, hello, I'm calling about a uniform. Calling for purchasing. Thank you. Purchasing. Um, I'm a co-pilot based out of San Francisco. I flew a flight into New York last night, but the problem is I'm headed out to uh, Paris in three hours. How can we help you? I sent my uniform to be cleaned through the hotel, and I, I guess they must have lost it. They lost a uniform. Happens all the time. Go down to the well-built uniform company at 9th and Broadway. They are uniform supplier. I'll tell Mr. Rosen you're coming. You look too young to be a pilot. I'm a co-pilot. Well, why so nervous? How'd you feel if you uh, lost your uniform first week on the job? <laughs> <laughs> Relax. Uh, Pan Am's got lots of uniforms. It's going to be $164. Great. I'll, uh, I'll write you a check. Uh, sorry, uh, no checks, no cash. You'll have to fill in your employee ID number, and then I'll bill Pan Am. I'll take it out in your next paycheck. Even better. Dear Dad, you always told me that an honest man has nothing to fear, so I'm trying my best not to be afraid. I'm sorry I ran away, but you don't have to worry. I'm gonna get it all back now, Daddy. I promise. I'm gonna get it all back. Are you a real-life pilot? I sure am, little lady. What's your name? Celine. Celine, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. That's 50, 70, 80, 90, $100. You have yourself a great time in Paris. I always do. Excuse me. I'm John Modica. I manage this branch. I want to thank you for coming in and using our institution. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, John. I'll be back again. Good. Have you stayed with us before? Uh, no, I've been primarily based on the West Coast. Is it all right if I write you a check for the room? No problem, sir. Great. I was wondering if I could write you a personal check. For airline personnel, we cash personal checks up to $100. Payroll checks, we cash up to $300. Did you say $300 for a payroll check? Dear Dad, I've decided to become a pilot for Pan American Airways, the most trusted name in the skies. They have accepted me into their training program and told me that if I work hard, I should earn my wings real soon. Please get in touch with Joanna Carlton from the 10th grade. Tell her I'm sorry that I could not take her to the junior prom. Love, your son, Frank. Thank you. 
I have a payroll check here I'd like to cash. Certainly. Thank you. Uh, excuse me. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you have the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen. Yeah, I do get that all the time. <laughs> How would you like it? Total con man. Frank had no credentials, no experience. Pan Am estimates that he flew more than a million miles from the time he was 16 to 18 years old around the world on 260 commercial flights in 26 different countries, all for free. Do you like the fact that he uh, put the check in the Bible to make sure he was going <laughs> to press it down? Oh. Man, you guys, God has two purposes for us, two original purposes, to have fellowship with him, true experience. Those are our credentials, by the way. Those are our credentials. Through Christ, we have fellowship and friendship with God. And then he calls us the same world that he called us out of and consecrated us and set us apart. That's the same world that then he builds us up and sends us back into, to be the light of the world, right? To be a conduit for his grace, for his mercy, his presence. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? But sometimes we go out there without those credentials. I know every one of us have done it. But I encourage you, I encourage you, renew that fellowship with him in that way that he's made available to us. Uh, if I can get the worship team back up, we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. And, uh, and take communion. And I would encourage you, oh, I would encourage you, renew that this morning. I do want to remind you, I mean, think about when the Pharisees came to D Jesus and they were trying to trick him and they said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? He said, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. No, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there's an order there. We have, we have that fellowship and friendship with God, and it is profound. So I, I hope that we can do that. Uh, just in our lives, I encourage you this morning, um, let's come to his table. We're going to, uh, if you would, stand with us. We're going to um, just close with a course, and uh, we'll wait until we've come and received communion. If you've never done that, if there's anyone here that's never uh, begun that relationship with the Father through Christ, I want to pray for you this morning. So that you can do that, let's bow our heads together and uh, you can say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness for sins. I thank you, Lord, that you've called me into fellowship, that you died for me. And Lord, I receive that friendship, that fellowship with God through your blood. And Lord, fill me with your spirit, with your strength, empower me to live this life of faith in a genuine and pure way with you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the friendship I have with you. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer, you too can come to that table. This table is for those who follow Christ. And uh, we'll give you a moment, open up the table, come and receive the body and the blood, and then we'll close in just a few minutes.
Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.